If you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be reading from verse 18 to 20. In this Rediscover Church series, we've been talking about different aspects of church life and how those things fit in together, whether it is gathering or membership or fellowship or preaching. And today we are going to be talking about singing, which is excellent because we all do it. Um, you probably, if you grew up around Christian circles, you've probably heard people say, uh, the worship was nice and the someone was okay. Well, the right response to that should be, uh, which part of the worship? Because the whole thing was worship. But we use that phrase worship to mean the music or the singing, right? Worship by definition. If you're looking for a one-verse definition of worship, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Worship is to do everything for the glory of God. Worship is saying with our lips and our lives that we value God more than anything else anywhere. Against that backdrop, our singing should say the same thing. Our singing in church is designed to say, we want, desire, love, esteem God above everything, anywhere. And as we, as we think about singing today, I hope you see three things from the several verses we are going to be looking at, chiefly here in Ephesians 5. Number one, why should we sing to begin with? Why should we sing? Number two, what should we sing? And lastly, how should we sing? Why should we sing? What should we sing? Rather, why should we sing? What should we sing? And how should we sing? Ephesians chapter 5, from verse 18 to 20. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, <clears throat> giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word that is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Would you please help me step out of your way? Would you speak to me and speak through me to the end that our lives may be configured to the image of Jesus Christ? Forbid it, Lord, that anyone except you should get glory at this time. And so now, Lord, what we do not have, please give us through your word. What we do not know, please teach us through your word. And what we are not, please make us through your word. We pray these things for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why should we sing? What should we sing? And how should we sing? Let's start off with the first one. Why should we sing? We sing to exalt God and edify one another. That's why we sing. To exalt God and to edify one another. In the psalm that was earlier read, Psalm 96, when it says, sing to the Lord. In fact, I'll, I'll read it for you. Three times, the psalmist exhorts us to sing. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, 
all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Charles Spurgeon wondered if there was an allusion to the Trinity with those three repetitions of sing, sing, sing. Human beings are a living, breathing, singing instrument. See, every instrument on the planet has two basic parts. An actuator and a resonator. An actuator is the thing that actually produces the sound, that vibrates to produce the sound. And a resonator is what amplifies the sound. So, for example, the guitar on stage. It has strings. That's the actuator. Those things vibrate to produce the sound. It has a resonator that allows for the sound to be amplified and a hole that allows for that sound to actually get out. You and I are the same way. We have an actuator called vocal cords that vibrate to produce sound. We have a resonator. Some of us have a bigger resonator than others. It explains why they're louder. That actually resonates the sound. And we have a hole called our mouth that produces the sound and lets it out. But you and I as humans have something else that no other instrument has. And that is an articulator. Your tongue. We are the only instrument that can articulate the music we produce. That can put words to the music we produce. So when scripture commands sing to the Lord, Use this instrument to articulate something, to say something, using words to the Lord. And it should be no surprise, by the way, that we are the only organism or animal on the planet that can do that. I know we talk about, oh, but birds sing. No, they don't. They chirp. They're chirping. Right? Dogs don't sing. Humans are the only ones who can articulate and use words. That shouldn't surprise us because we are made in the image of a singing God. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 says this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And listen, listen to this last line which tells his people. He will, he will exalt over you with loud singing. When God is speaking to his people, he sings. He's a singing God and made us in his image. We are singing beings. And part of why God tells us to be careful with what we do with our tongues in James 3.9 is because this articulator is designed to sing praise to God. We sing because God has designed us to sing. It is the command of God to sing to him. Sing to the Lord. And this isn't just an individual command for persons. It is a corporate command for the people of God, Old Testament and New Testament alike. In Ephesians chapter 5, the verse we just read, it is the church being commanded to sing. When God calls us into this meeting every week, the thing he asks us to do is sing. Aubrey used this example a couple of weeks ago. If Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed calls me to the meeting, I don't show up there with my phone and be like, in fact, I'm glad you called me. These are the three things I need you to do for me, Mr. Sheikh. That's not how it works. I sit down and ask, what do you want done in the meeting? In the same way, God in his kindness, when he calls for this meeting, he tells us, sing. The church has been called to sing. Now, if you grew up maybe the way I did, we were told that when we sing, we sing for the audience of one. But technically, 
we actually sing for the audience of two. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Did you catch it? The Lord with our hearts and to one another. Scripture commands us that when we gather, we not only sing to the Lord, but we sing to one another. This, by the way, is why you will see your elders very often look around the room while we are singing. They are looking around the room because they are trying to sing those songs to you and I. They are turning the lyrics of those songs into prayers for you and I. And it's something we hope that we start doing to each other. Because the singing is not only for God's exaltation, but for our edification and encouragement and comfort, especially. We especially need to sing to one another when we are struggling with sin. So have you come here and you're struggling with the exact same besetting sin that you've been struggling for the last, struggling with for the last two, four, five years? Then you need to come and look across the room and see and hear your fellow sinners sing, Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. You need to hear that. That there is more grace for you than there is sin in. Are you coming and you're struggling because you're grieving and you're mourning, you're afflicted? Then come here, your siblings, sing to you, not just to the Lord, but to you who is in grief and mourning and afflicted. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold and you need to hear us sing that to you because your voice is choked and you're trying to sing through blinding tears. God designed that we are not just singing to him, but to one another. Are you grateful for what the Lord has provided? Then we want to rejoice with you and say, great is his faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies we have seen in your life. Do you want to praise him just because he's an amazing God and there is no one else worth praising? Then we want to do that along with you, along with each other, to this God who is worthy of all our praise. Do you see? We sing, why? To exalt God and to edify one another. The next song we sing today, and from this point on, consider looking around the room. Consider looking around the room and singing to the people around you. Maybe you know them very well. Turn those lyrics into a prayer for them if you know what's happening in their life. Maybe you don't know them very well. Maybe you've just seen them in the membership directory. That's fine. Turn those lyrics into a prayer for them. And God will do marvelous things in our lives as we sing not only to him, but to each other because it knits us together. That's what it's designed to do. Now, if we are going to turn the words of songs that we sing into prayers for each other, 
then we have to ask, okay, what should we sing? I understand why we should sing. Scripture is clear. We sing to exalt God, to edify, encourage, comfort one another. But what specifically should we sing? Answer, we sing the word. We sing the Bible. Look at Ephesians 5.19. It says we are to address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, all kinds of spiritual songs that will do us spiritual good. And how do I know what will do me spiritual good? Jesus answers that question. John 6.63. Jesus said it is the spirit who gives life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The word is what is spiritually useful to our souls. Or consider 1 Corinthians 2.13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. If you are in Christ, you are spiritually alive. Therefore, you are spiritual. What feeds you spiritually? God's word. The spirit of God will use the word of God to nourish the person who has the spirit of God in them. That's what he uses. We sing the word also because right there in Ephesians 5, we are told to address one another in psalms. <laughs> psalms are the anatomy of the Christian soul. In the psalms, everything you will ever feel of fear in your journey on this earth is in the Psalms. Everything. The Psalms are actually God's own songbook. <laughs> the Psalms are his hymnal for us. You might have grown up with like a mission praise hymnal. Yeah, God's mission praise is called the Psalms. And we are commanded all over the New Testament to sing the Psalms. Like right here. Also, the Psalms actually point to Jesus Christ and they find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So, for example, Psalm chapter 2 that talks about the enthronement of a king. We see that in Hebrews, that king is Jesus Christ. Or Psalm chapter 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. That is fulfilled in Jesus Christ when he quotes it himself, telling the Pharisees, there's the Lord and I am the Lord. I am the fulfillment of the psalms you have been reading. I am the fulfillment of the songs you have been singing. Oh, and by the way, Jesus himself sang. You might have missed it. I know I did. When you read through passages like Mark chapter 14, just before Jesus goes to the cross, Mark chapter 14 verse 26 says, And when they, that is Jesus and the disciples, had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We are to sing the word. And because the word is God's own revelation of his salvation, we are not to sing just the word, but we are to sing the word about Christ. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word about Christ. Notice in Psalm 96, he says, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord all the earth, and then he says, tell of his salvation from day to day. When we sing the truth, of God's word, when we sing the gospel, we are telling the whole world, we know a God who saves. Look and live. Look and live. Look to him and you will live. Our singing is evangelistic because it exalts Christ above everything else. 
It's not only evangelistic. Singing is also one of the ways that we are filled with the Spirit. It's a means that enables us to be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians 5, there's this contrast drawn. Do not be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. How? By singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That, that parallel is designed to do something. The same way you are not permanently drunk, you're not permanently filled. God is in us. He is our God. How do we continually keep being filled with the Holy Spirit? Those, those verbs, they're actually present continuous verbs. We sing. We sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. And in fact, in Ephesians 5, listen to the language there, where it says, be filled with the Spirit, how? By singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then, in Colossians 3, verse 16, listen to the language there. Let the word of Christ dwell in you rich, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Did you catch it? In Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. How? Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. How? Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In other words, to be filled with the Spirit is to have the word of God dwell richly in us. Show me someone who has God's word in his heart, in his mind, in his life, who is constantly looking to the word of God, and I will show you someone who is full of the spirit of God. The spirit wrote the word. Those who love his word and are saturated by his word are those who are filled by the spirit and continually being filled by the spirit. And that's why that exists. It also exists because if the word of God dwells in our heads, singing takes it from our heads into our hearts. Singing enables us to feel the truths we know. Imagine if I came up to you, or your love interest, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife, came up to you and they said, and I, E.I., will always love you. Ooh, will always love you. Huh? But you take that same exact set of words and put Whitney Houston's voice behind it. <laughs> and uh, suddenly we're all like, yes, even me, I love you. <laughs> what changed? Singing or songs are what our emotions sound like. Music, singing, is what our feelings sound like. Therefore, singing to the Lord is what our deepest affections for God and his people and his truth sound like. That's why we sing, because it moves the truth out of our heads into our hearts that we were worshiping with all our hearts, and it comes out in praise. Now, we, we want to avoid two kinds of extremes with our emotions, right? Emotions in and of themselves are not a bad thing. We are designed to feel. If you lack the ability to have sympathy or empathy, we call you a psychopath, <laughs> right? The extremes we want to avoid is on one hand, emotionlessness, no emotion. When we are singing, we show absolutely no emotion because emotion is childish 
And maturity means we are stoic when we sing the songs. Or the other extreme, where we are looking for an emotional high. And if we don't have that emotional high, then God hasn't moved among us. You see the extremes? On the one hand, these are the guys who show up, they put their hands in their armpits and they're like, hmm. <laughs> Look at the screen. They'll maybe sing a few words so that they meditate upon them. Yeah, if you're doing that, you've missed the whole point of singing. That's not what God designed singing to do. We can't have this hard divide between what we think and how we feel. And if you say, no, there's a hard divide between what I think and how, and how I feel, okay, after the service, I'll come punch you. Let's see if you still have that divide. No, we feel some sort of way. We are designed to. But on the opposite extreme, we don't want to pursue emotions as an end in and of themselves. We don't want to pursue emotions as the infallible proof of whether God is with us or not. Because that's not true. What we want is to get at the affections. What are affections? They are our emotions that are informed and inflamed by the truth. The same emotions, but informed and inflamed by the truth. So they develop a depth of affection for God that we sing out to him. We sing out about him. We sing toward each other. Right? So what we produce is psalm-like, affectional singing. And if you're here, and you kind of just come to church, and you stand, and people stand, and they're singing, and you're not singing, you're kind of just like, hmm, and you're reading the words, I, I say this with love, if God has commanded us to sing, and you are refusing to sing, the English word for that is sin. You are actively rebelling in his meeting against what he has asked us to do. Oh, but the opposite is true. When we sing, we not only enjoy him, we enjoy each other. And we can sing the Psalms. It's part of what we did today. Did you know that when you and I sing Psalms, we are doing not only exactly what Jesus did, there's something even greater happening. In, in Mark chapter 15, verse 34, as Jesus is about to die, Scripture says, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what he's doing there? He's quoting the Psalms. He's quoting a song he grew up singing. Look, I know you love Aubrey's preaching, which is absolutely majestic. I know you love Pastor Will's systematic treatment of scripture. I know you love Ben's affectional, practical preaching. Here's what I know about you. On your deathbed, you're not going to be quoting our sermons. You're not going to be like, actually, Christian's point number one is why should we worship? That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen when you're dying. You know what might happen when you're dying? As you know, you're checking out. You will probably sing, And Lord, haste the day When my fate shall be sight The clouds be rolled back as a scroll The trump shall resound And the Lord shall descend Even so it is well 
Because songs are the sermons you remember. Songs are the sermons you will remember. The Lord in his kindness calls us to sing and drive those songs into our hearts. I'll even do you one better. Not only do we sing, not only do we sing actual categories that the Bible uses, the actual theology of the Bible, but even the actual words of the Bible, which is part of why we sing Psalms. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, Christ not only quoted a psalm at the cross, here's what Hebrews 2, 11 12 to 12 says. For he, Jesus, who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified, us, all have one source. That is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them, us, brothers, saying, and Jesus quotes a psalm. There's a scripture quotes a psalm. This is what Jesus does. I, Jesus is speaking, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, get this, I will sing your praises. Week after week, when we gather to sing, all our voices are being heard, but there's another voice that is not audible, that is also singing. Whose voice? Jesus's. Every time the congregation sings, in the midst of the congregation, I, Jesus, sings along with us. God not only sings over us, Zephaniah 3, to comfort us and speak to us, God sings with us. When we sing, nowhere else in the world will you find this. Nowhere else can you say, my God doesn't just sing over me, he sings with me. I don't care where you go, there is no meeting more powerful than the one happening right now. Because when you sing, the almighty voice of God is singing behind you. That's our God who sings along with us. And so, if we know that God wants to delight in our singing, if we know that he has commanded us to sing his word like psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which are the word which is spiritually useful, and if we are going to ask God to sing along with us in the congregation, because he's not only how we sing, he's not only the means that makes our singing acceptable to God, he's singing along with us as God, then we have to be very careful about what we are singing. This is why the elders of this church go through the lyrics of our songs with a fine-tooth comb. Because if scripture commands that we sing the word, that we sing in the categories, with the theology, and with the actual language of the Bible, the elders are the people who have been commanded by God to protect and proclaim the word. The elders have been told to teach the word, and singing is an extension of that teaching ministry of the church. Your singing, my singing, is discipling us. It's teaching me who God is. It's teaching me how I should live. One about the Trinity? God in three persons. It's discipling me on who God is. One God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do I teach someone about the inerrancy, infallibility, sufficiency, and authority of Scripture? Jesus loves me, this I know. I just told you my authority for knowing how God loves me. 
It's a scripture. How do I know about penal substitutionary atonement? How do I know that on the cross, Jesus Christ took the wrath of God, that he bore the whole wrath of God for every sin that would ever be committed by everyone who would ever believe in him? How do I know that? Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, and every sin on him was laid. Here is the death of Christ. There you go. It's teaching us. It's discipling us. And the elders have to take care of that because we love you. When I was a youth pastor a couple of years ago, uh, a number of years ago, <laughs> we had a, a teen service, which is a bad idea for all sorts of reasons that I can talk about with you later. And there's like two or 300 teenagers that were coming to this service. And occasionally, the parents of these teenagers would come along to the service. Um, this particular family, the mom, the dad, the two children, a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old, used to come regularly. And they'd been coming for a while, so I knew them. Um, there's a song we used to sing in the teens' church that said, Me, I no go suffer, I no go beg for bread. That was the song. It's pidgin English, and it means, I will not suffer, I will not beg for bread. Okay? The Nigerians are smiling at me because they know the source of this song. <laughs> and I, it was kind of thoughtless for me. I was like, yeah, whatever. Me, I know go suffer. But one day, this family came to the teen service, and it was the mom and her daughter. Her son wasn't there. And I'm looking at her mom and her. Mom and her. And you know the way you can tell these two people do not want to be standing next to each other at all? I was like, huh, that's awkward, because usually they are pretty tight-knit family. So the service happens, we sing, me, I know, go suffer, we move on. At the end of the service, I go approach her, I'm like, hey, uh, mama so-and-so, that's like mother of so-and-so, are you okay? Is everything okay? She pulls me aside and she walks me through her week. On Monday, her husband went for a business trip. Fine. On Tuesday, her 17-year-old daughter threw a mammoth tantrum. What? I mean, throwing glasses and breaking them, slamming doors. Mammoth tantrum. You're not going to beat a 17-year-old, so you're like, okay, we'll address that later. A 15-year-old son on Wednesday, so that was Monday, Tuesday, the tantrum. Wednesday, the 15-year-old son, the school calls her and says, we are suspending your son because he was caught fighting in school. Now, he was like the gentlest guy I knew, but he had apparently done a number on another kid in school. Okay? On Thursday, her husband was supposed to be coming back, but didn't come back. And on that Thursday, her daughter called her aside and said, I need to talk to you. Mom is like, okay. And she tells her, I'm pregnant. On Friday, emboldened by his sister, the son said, I need to talk to you, mom. Here's why I was fighting in school. Because the, the kid I beat up was making fun of me that dad is having an affair with one of the people who works in school. On Saturday, because she had the week from hell, she scratched the car. And that's when she discovered the insurance is expired, and she has no access to the credit card. And then on Sunday, what did I make her sing? <laughs> Me, I know, go suffer. <laughs> Think about how mean that is. What am I saying about her life? What is the whole church telling her about her life? That she's not suffering? That it's a figment of her imagination? Worse yet, think about what the whole church 
by the church's singing <laughs> is telling her about God. Because our singing is saying, God says you won't suffer. And she's looking at her life and she's like, no, I'm suffering. One of you is lying to me. God is the liar. This is why we protect what is sung in the church. Because we love you and we know that hard days are coming. And on those days, you need to be able to sing afflicted saint to Christ to draw near. Your gracious Savior's promise here. His faithful word, you can believe that as your days, your strength shall be. So sing with joy, afflicted one. The battle's fierce, but the victory's won. God shall supply all that you need. That as your days, your strength shall be. That would have been way more useful to her. And it will be far more useful to you. Why do we sing? To exalt God and to edify one another. What do we sing? We sing the word. Now I want to be clear, that doesn't make us rigid, as I'm hoping you've seen. We sing some songs that are hundreds of years old, and we sing some songs that are two years old. We sing some songs that are faster, we sing some songs that are slower. The point is, we sing all sorts of kinds of songs as long as they are rich with the Bible, theologically sound, and even using the language, the Psalms of Scripture. And thirdly, how should we sing? If we know why we should sing, if we know what we should sing, the question is, how should we sing? We sing enthusiastically, congregationally, and as pilgrims passing through this life. Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And I keep saying I love that that is the order of those words. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Not everything that praises the Lord have breath. Psalm 12, rather, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you by the mercies of God, therefore, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. We worship God with everything we have. All our breath, all our might, all our strength, all of us should be singing and worshipping zealously. In fact, in chapter 12, verse 11 of, of that same Romans, Paul says, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in, in spirit, serve the Lord. The word for serve and the word for worship in scripture is basically the same. And if you think about it, you can't do one without the other. To worship God is to serve him. To serve God is to worship him. And Paul is telling us, do that zealously. Right? Zeal without knowledge is a bad thing. But zeal with the knowledge of God, knowing him personally and knowing his word, is always encouraged in scripture. And so we sing enthusiastically because we know who we are singing to, we know why we are singing, we know what we are singing. But our singing should also be congregational. Whether Old Testament or New Testament alike, God always wants the whole congregation to be in on it. No real big solo performances. It's the people of God who sing the praises of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to 14, that point is made very clear. This God of order wants the order of the church 
to be clear so that we can give praise to him who is worthy. And singing is part of that. But lastly, we sing as a pilgrim people. We are just passing through, guys. We are just passing through. And God has given us this huge privilege of singing to him. And I call it a privilege because I have some friends who are pastors in China. And in around 20, between 2018 to 2019, they were constantly being harassed by their government. They'd meet in one place. When they hear them singing, they come close the place. They go to a different venue. If the singing is heard, they're kicked out again. Some of them were arrested on trumped-up charges and then released. So eventually, they were relegated to meeting in a cave. And because they knew if we sing loudly, government officials will come and shut us down, they sang silent hymns. They would pick a song, and someone would conduct and go one, two, three, and they have to sing silently. You and I have a huge privilege that we can walk in here and sing so loudly we can be heard by the, by the people on the streets. We can sing through the walls. And if that's the privilege we have, we should sing loudly. Amen? Amen. We sing not just enthusiastically, but loudly. And ECC, I'm so glad you people sing loudly. I love how loudly you sing. I'm always going to be an advocate for loud singing, but literally, I just want to commend how loudly you sing, that you literally sing through the walls, and you can hear you from the street. Praise God for that. And for the men of ECC, let's up our volume a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Let's sing enthusiastically, even with our body language. Now, that doesn't mean there's one style of worship. Some people are always going to be expressive. Some people are always going to be calm. But even in our body language, let it be clear that the person we are worshiping is worthy of my standing right now. That as we worship and sing songs of encouragement to each other and look at each other, my body is saying I belong to God and I belong to all of us, which is pictured in the Lord's Supper as well. If you can sing in parts, please sing in parts. If you know what the soprano line should sound like, sing that, or the alto, or the tenor, or the harmony. It's a picture, even in how God gave us different voices, of our unity in diversity. And that harmony is a beautiful thing when we sing to the Lord. If you have no idea what a harmony is, it's fine. Just make a joyful noise, you're fine. <laughs> sing something. <laughs> Sing loudly. This, by the way, is why we prioritize the human voice above accompaniment. Because the command is to do what? Sing. Not play. Thank God for these guys. But the command is not to play, it's to sing. Which means the real action is not happening here on stage. The real action is happening there. You are the worship team. They are merely facilitating that. You as a congregation, us as a congregation, are the people God has commanded to sing. Whether the facilitators are there or not, the action is down there. This, by the way, is also why we have long a cappella sections. Why? Because the command is to do what? Sing. This is why we sing psalms, because we have been commanded to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. A good question that I dare you today, as you're in the foyer, to ask, ask, how was the singing? I don't mean how was the singing. 
I mean, how was the singing? How did we sound? How did I sound? Was I loud? I'm not too concerned about how Cromwell sounds. You, I, was I loud? Were we loud? Did we sing well? No? Okay, we have seven days to practice. Next Sunday, we'll do a better job. Right? Practical things we can do. Number one, thank God for your voice and be content with it. You are never going to sound like Anna Archer. It's fine. Jesus still loves you. Accept and move on. <laughs> I am never going to sound like Adam Troy. Too bad. But what God has given me is what he wants to hear. Secondly, come prepared. If you are in a choir, you would have prepared to come, yes? You are the choir. <laughs> we prepare to come sing. One member of this church takes home his bulletins because he's never heard these songs before. So he makes sure he goes home with a bulletin so he can practice the songs during the week. A different member of this church, I found out recently, she goes to the website to listen to the songs because she's never heard some of these songs before. And she sings along with them so that come Sunday, she's prepared. We come prepared, which means get some sleep, eat something, drink some water, show up. Because God wants to hear you and I sing. We pray. Pray for the singing of the church. That all of us would turn this room into an echo chamber of God's praise. And get louder about it. And better about it. It means that we learn the songs even in our family time. A helpful practice for those of us who are parents. Just sing the doxology with your children. Start there. And then maybe build one hymn per month or one hymn per quarter, whatever it is. So that they learn these truths that you and I so deeply cherish. Here's a big one. Be willing to sacrifice your musical preferences. We all have preferences. But you realize that when we come to church and sing, even when that song or style is not our preferred way, what you are telling me and all of us is you love us. You're willing to sacrifice so that we can sing praise to God, so that we can be edified and strengthened and comforted. You're telling me you love me when you do that. And you realize you letting go of your preferences means other people are also letting go of their preferences. Just because you like it doesn't mean everyone else does. And they're willing to do the same for you. And when we do that, it's actually an act of love. Last two things. Persevere when it's hard to sing. Persevere when it's hard to sing. When you've lost a loved one, or lost work, or lost love, or lost a limb. We all know that coming to church, you even came just because you were barely hanging on. So let us sing to you and keep pushing one foot in front of another and sing and persevere because you know you're a pilgrim. There's coming the day where not only shall your faith be sight, you will sing with a perfected voice and a perfected heart. That's the picture of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 7, that the redeemed from every tongue and tribe and language stand before the throne and with palm branches they wave, singing, salvation belongs to our God. 
For he ransomed the people from every tongue and tribe and nation, and he made us kings and priests. Singing will continue forever. So persevere until that day. Through your high highs, your low lows, and your endless plateaus, persevere until you get into his everlasting arms. And for those of you who are here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, my question for you is, will you be part of this eternal chorus? <laughs> will you? Because by the way, it's a lot of fun being part of this chorus. But more than that, we are forgiven. You see, here's what I know about you, because it's true of me and everyone in this room who knows Jesus Christ. You're currently singing a song. You just don't know you're singing the song. You're currently singing the song of idolatry. You're currently singing a song of worship to something or someone other than God. The fact of the matter is human beings are designed to worship. It's not a question of if we worship. It's just a question of what we worship. And you, my friend outside Jesus Christ, you're currently singing the song of idolatry as we once were. And your biggest idol is the guy who stares back at you in the mirror. He is the one you're trying to fulfill. He or she is the one you're trying to serve. You go by his rules and his words. The problem with that is God calls that rebellion sin and says that the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from a three times holy God. That what you have waiting for you is quite literally hell but God who is gracious and rich in mercy sent his son, born of a woman in the fullness of time, to live the life you could never live because even on your best day, your righteous acts are like filthy rags. He lived a perfect life, was crucified to take on the wrath and punishment of God for every sin that would ever be committed by everyone who would ever believe in him. He was buried, rose, ascended into heaven, and because there's an empty tomb in Palestine and an occupied throne in heaven, he now offers you a chance to be part of the eternal chorus. How do you get in on it? You turn away from your sin and you trust in him and give him your whole life. Or as the song says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And then you become part of the eternal chorus. As we close, for those of us who are already part of the eternal chorus, we are almost home. To, to use the words of a song that might not be in my personal preference, but the words are exactly right. This life is just a vapor, we're almost home. Almost home, almost home. So press on toward that blessed shore. Oh, praise the Lord, we're almost home. Almighty God, would it please you today to save those who don't know you and draw them to yourself? Would it please you today to turn us into a thunderous choir that is never, ever ashamed of singing your praise? Would it please you today to make us what you died to make us? Singing, saved, grateful, redeemed sons and daughters of the living God. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.